The incarnation, the incarnation. How many of you, so anybody can tell me what the incarnation means. What does incarnation mean? Yeah, so the word became flesh, dwelt among us. Okay. So the incarnation and ultimately the death and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus, did not affect the age that preceded the incarnation. It ended or finished it and began a new, or more accurately we might say, the original age marked by his kingdom reign, the grace of God, reconciliation, where God and man are one. That's the, what atonement means. At one meant. At one, atonement. Much of our ideas of God and man and how they work together are skewed because we have misunderstood what the incarnation did to the age. Okay, so I'm going to use this word a lot tonight. Um, when I use the word age, you could use the word um, season's probably not super accurate, um, but you could view it like this. Uh, there was an age between God creating and the garden and then the, what we call the fall. Okay? So that kind of ended one age or epoch or time, and it started another age. Okay? So when I say age, I'm talking about a period of time. So in the New Testament, and I'm going to get to this in a second, when it talks about the last days, it's not talking about like the last 10 days or the last 100 days or the last 365 days. It's not, it's not talking about that. It's talking about the last age. It's talking about not material. It's talking about substance, okay? So we've been in the last day since Acts 2 because it's the last type of days. You see what I'm saying? It's not like, you know, hey, our, the Lord's coming back because it's been 2,000 days. No, 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 no. He's not talking about the, the amount of days. He's talking about the quality of the days. So let me, let me kind of show you this. All right, so this is, this is kind of how we view... And I'm going to use this language. This is how we view the timeline of how everything plays out. Okay, so this is creation, and this will make sense in a second. But if I don't do this, you won't know what I'm talking about. This is creation. Okay, and then right here, I'm going to change colors so y'all can see it real easy. Like, okay, this is what we'll call the fall. I hate that, but that's what everybody knows it as. So then you go through here, and in this age, you have the law. Um, you have the prophets, you have everything else, Israel, etc., Abraham, all this age, okay? And then Jesus, and this is what most of us believe. Most of us believe we're taught this. Jesus steps in on this timeline right here, okay? And the timeline continues, but now it continues through Jesus, and so there are some people who are still operating on this age, and there are some people operating on the same timeline in the same age, but they're drenched in the blood of Jesus. And so they got to power through the age in order to get to the end, what most call heaven, which is highly inaccurate. Heaven is an in-between. It's not a final place. But anyway, most people believe heaven is the end-all, be-all because they love Plato. So um, creation fall, law, prophets, Jesus steps in, and now there is this tension between this part of the age and the Jesus part of the age that are running perpendicular to each other. And that's what we believe. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Here's what Jesus did. Let me show you. Well, let me do it on a different one. Okay. Here's creation. Can y'all see this? Y'all good? I know I'm not doing good for everybody over here on the right. Okay, 
This is creation. Let me show you this. This is highly important. This is the fall. Okay? Law. Prophets. I know. I do. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do it quick. Okay? Prophets. Now, here's the difference. Here's the difference. You ready for this? You ready for this? Here's what Jesus does. And I'm about to show you this, but I'm going to show you it ahead of time so that you know as we're, as we're teaching, you have a visual. Jesus does not come in and affect this age. Jesus comes in and brings us back to the original age. So Jesus comes in and does not say, I'm going to be a point on the timeline. He comes in and says, I'm going to fulfill the part of this timeline so that the timeline can continue as it should have always continued, which is creation and good and Garden of Eden and relationship, etc. Well, brother, that doesn't make sense. Glad you said that. I'm going to explain it to you. This is the kingdom. This is what we have inherited in the West, which is a tension between the kingdom and the age of Babylon. What the reality that we are in is, is that we are in the kingdom and Babylon is a lie. It is a lie to believe that you are still living in a Babylonian system when you are actually living in a kingdom system. And the reason this is so important is because the church, particularly, spends so much time battling against Babylon when we should simply reinforce what is only real, which is the kingdom. So I could come in here and tell you all about abortion and tell you all about Roe v. Wade, or we could come in here and teach the kingdom, and guess what comes within the kingdom and understanding of what abortion is and is not? which we have not seen this week, by the way. We've seen... Sure. Um, let me. Can I just help y'all? My job is to shepherd you, right? So if you're in the room and you don't want to be shepherd, shepherded, then you're, I mean, I guess you're in the wrong place. You know, I don't know. Um, so let me, let me just shepherd you. Okay. First and foremost, no laws were passed this week. No laws were passed this week. Good? No, not one law was passed this week. Well, brother, I'm against this new law. What new? There is no law. There was no law passed. I, and see, right now I feel myself being canceled. That's okay. Bye. Um, see you later. Because, listen, what we're going to do in this church, and I, this is not any shots, but maybe it is. I don't know. Is what we're going to do, we're going to have logical teaching and logical conversations, and we're going to use our minds. That's what we're going to do in here. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to use just, 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 just craziness. Okay, so there was no law passed. What was passed is a bunch of people who have been appointed, appointed to a court, not Congress, not Congress, to a court to decide the written law. And that's it. So there was no laws passed. They simply said this ruling, not law, this ruling or precedent doesn't match up with the language in the law. Therefore, 
we, as people who are, by the way, much smarter at the law than we are, we have determined through all of our PhD understanding and language that this doesn't fit the logical and lawful writing of this law that Congress has passed. And that was it. That's it. That's all that happened this week. And, it, you know, it's, and it's a great thing. I mean, whatsoever. Yep. But, like, you know what I'm saying? And you would, not, I mean, you would think the earth has ended. And let me, let me just go ahead and say, let me go ahead and get rid of all the other friends that I used to have. Um, let me just go ahead and say this. I, the church has been, number one, silent. Silent. Because... And you're going you're gonna to probably see this play out this week with me. But I'm going on sabbatical, and my phone's going to be off for a month, so it don't matter. Um, is Babylon has come in and said, if you say one word about this, we'll cancel you so fast, you won't have a church next week. And the church has said, yes, sir. Nope. No, 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 no. We're going to use our brains. Y'all good? Y'all okay? So just, just to be clear, no, law, no laws were passed this week. <laughs> you know, this, but I just don't I, don't, I don't agree with this law that was passed. There was no law. There were no laws were passed. You know what I'm saying? But see, our generation is a generation that speaks. There's a reason why I didn't post anything on social media. Lord, social media, when this happened, first off, get off social media, please. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, unless, but let me help you. Unless you have a PhD in law, okay, we don't need to be making comments, logical comments, critical thinking comments about something that we don't understand. Same thing with theology. That's what people try to do with me all the time. Well, bro, I just don't agree with what you have to say. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I didn't know you spent 40 hours this week studying this. My bad. I'm so sorry. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, y'all see, see, when I get close to going on sabbatical, I just get, I just get an edge about me that I love. So this is me. Welcome home. But, um, but I just want to, because it's my responsibility as a pastor to help you in, through cultural things too. Okay? And so what, what we have done is we've let, we've let, like I said in worship just now, we've let Babylon, the culture around us, dictate what the church talks about, how the church talks about it, our stances, and if the church's stance needs to go against what Babylon believes, instead of standing for it, we just be quiet and pray to God it goes away before we have to say anything, which, which is what has happened this week. So um, anyway, and here's how you talk to people about this, okay? This is completely out of nowhere. It just feels good, though. Here's how you talk to people about this. You don't have to be mean. I'm not being mean right now. I'm just asking people to think. That's not being mean. That's, in, that's in, encouraging people to do what God gave them to do. Um, but we don't have, you don't have to be mean. You don't have to say, like, if you have a stance that's different than a brother or sister, that's totally fine. You don't have, you don't have to shut up. You don't have to not love them. And this is what the thing that I, have, I do agree on is that I've seen a lot of pastors this week say, uh, now, that this is, now that this is passed, which, by the way, nothing has, there's no law that's passed. Lord. Um, but they say, now that this is passed, um, we, we need to really support these people. Maybe if we had supported them before, we wouldn't have to pass laws. So, um, so there's both, you know what I'm saying? So, so I want to encourage you, though, 
that like when you're having these conversations, do them in love, but do not give Babylon the, the final say. Babylon doesn't get to tell us what we believe. That happened to Israel, and they got themselves on the shores of Babylon with their harps hung up on a tree. So if we're going to hang up our harps of beloved identity and just sit on the side of the river dreaming of when we were in Zion, that's amazing, and we can do that. But let me tell you what we could also do is we could turn back to the Lord, repent, humble ourselves, seek his face, and he will hear us from heaven and heal our land. So y'all choose. Anyway. All right. Let me give you an example of how this, are y'all good? Did I just ruin everybody? I asked y'all to think, and now you would think I just, I just Lord, you know, just, just undid everything. Uh, I can see people exiting out of the live stream now. Praise God. We didn't want to do the live stream anyway. Um, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking, okay? I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just playing. So what this is, is this allows us to live in certain doctrines that does not, they do not work in this. Let me give you an example. The doctrine of original sin, absolute, in my opinion, garbage. The doctrine of original sin. What is the doctrine of original sin? The doctrine of original sin is that every single person is born into sin and innately evil. Which means you've got to go to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and go, in the beginning, Adam fell. So... But because we believe that this age is still ruling in this age, but we got a little blood from Jesus to get us through it, because we believe that, we see every single person in Adam. And Romans 5 teaches us that no one is no longer in Adam. Adam was just a type and shadow of who we are to Christ. So where sin, where sin was increasing... Grace was increasing all the more so that when Jesus stepped into the story, he could come not to do away with this, but to fulfill it and bring us back to what he declared over us, which is very good. So you're not born into sin, you're born into goodness, or else the cross did nothing. The cross did not just forgive sin. I'm thankful the cross forgave sins. I'm absolutely thankful the cross forgave sins, and it did. Absolutely. But if you stop there, a lamb forgave sins in the Old Testament. Well, let's just get a lamb. Jesus stepped in to do something much more than what a goat could do in the Old Testament. Jesus stepped in to undo the age of delusion and bring us back into the spin that you and I were always designed for. And let me help you, we were always in. We never left it. But Paul says, at one point you were alienated from God and enemies where? In your mind. So you were living in a fall and in the law while in reality you never left the spin. How, prove that. Well, awesome. As soon as they leave the garden, a few generations later, you have a man by the name of Enoch who is in such relationship with the Lord that he just goes to the Lord one day. So was Enoch born into sin? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Praise God, brother. If you're born into sin, that means sin is natural. 
But if you're born into goodness, it means sin is not natural and goodness is. So, so if we believe the doctrine of original sin, then what we believe is sin is what is real and goodness is not even attainable because you are what you are born into. So if you're born into sin, the best you can ever be is a blood-soaked sinner, which is what everybody was told your whole life. You know what I'm saying? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. If you are, you're not saved. If you're still a sinner, then you are not in Christ. Or it, Well, you are in Christ. You don't believe you're in Christ. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. We are not a bunch of sinners saved by grace. We're a bunch of kids that lost our way but came home. Amen. But if goodness is what you and I are born into, then goodness is what is real. And when sin enters the story, it is a foreign object that does not fit. Because you're born into goodness and you are what you're born into. Y'all good? All right. Because we see Jesus as a marker on our age, rather than the one who began an entirely new age with an original reality, we see the gospel and feeling of the Spirit of Jesus as the power to make it through the dark and sinful world, which makes us constantly fighting the enemy, power-hungry, narcissistic, tribal, tribal, against those not in our clubs, and also makes the cross powerless, Jesus weak, and the enemy, the God of the world. But Jesus came to end the age ruled by formlessness, law, works, religion, and division. He came to end the age marked by an idea that mankind is far from God and that God was angry and disappointed. He came to reinstate the new age of the kingdom and perichoresis. And that's the gospel. This is Mark 1.15. This is Josh translation. It says this. He, Jesus, said, the time, okay, the word right there, the time is kairos, and it means age, epoch, or season. So exactly what we're talking about, okay? So I'm going to use the word age. The age is finished, and the kingdom reign of God is here. Therefore, change how you think and entrust yourself to this good news. One more time. Change how you think is the word metanoia, typically translated repentance. It, it, is, it is a, Jesus is talking about changing how you think from this age to this age. Okay? So let me read it one more time. Jesus said, the age is complete or finished. What age? Sin, law, works, etc. And the kingdom reign of God is here. Therefore, change how you think and entrust yourself to this good news. What good news? That the old age is done and the kingdom age is here. Not the kingdom will invade the old age. The kingdom will replace the old age. Are y'all with me? All right, I'm trying to do a lot of work here. Okay, why is this such good news? Because the reality of Genesis 2 in Christ is, 
was finally reawakened. But in order to restore Genesis 2, Genesis 3 had to not be suppressed, but undone. That was massive. In order to get us back to Genesis 2, Genesis 3 could not just be suppressed. Because Genesis 2, there was no sin. And what is sin? Hamartea, it's formlessness. So in Genesis 2, there was no sin. In Genesis 3, there was. So in order to get back to the reality that was before the fall, you can't just suppress what happened in Genesis 3. Because then you don't get back to Genesis 2. Because in Genesis 2, there was not a suppression of sin. There was no sin. So in order to get to Genesis 2, Jesus had to do something much more than suppress sin appetite. He had to undo sin entirely. And how was God going to undo death? He was going to face death for all as mankind, which is the incarnation, so as to end death and take his rightful seat as the head of the human race. Christ is the head of the human race, not Adam. And in order to do that, he had to limit himself to become fully man yet fully God. Listen to what Hebrews says, and then I'm going to come back to um, uh, 2 Corinthians. I've read Hebrews a, a million times. I've never caught this until this week. I want you to hear this. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus. Hebrews 5 verse 7. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read a couple verses. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Listen to this. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. How does God learn obedience? Have you ever... Th See, a lot of y'all have read Hebrews a lot. You never caught that. I never caught it until this week. Jesus is God. Amen? How is God going to learn obedience? Unless he limits himself in the form of a man in order to become man, in order to undo that which is innately man, in order to bring mankind back to what it means to be a man in the first place. So Jesus didn't just take on flesh he took on the entirety of what it means to be a human. He had to learn obedience. Why? Because he took on the mind of a human. It wasn't just skin. It was everything so that when he died, everything that was man died. And when he rose, everything that was man rose. Not just skin, not just Plato's material, but everything. 
Once you were alienated and foreign or uh, uh, enemies of God in your mind. Once you were, but now you're not. Why? Because the mind of man died on the cross with Jesus. I mean, th- this is, uh, Lord, this is huge. He had to learn obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. Once made perfect, wait a minute, is God not perfect? (laughs) Do you see, so Jesus, when he became flesh, he became sarks, which is not just flesh in Greek, it's human nature. He became man and dwelt among us. Okay, this is, this is huge. Okay. When he was made perfect, he became the source, listen, of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which is a whole nother message I won't get into tonight, but it's a great study if you'll get into. So um, let me read what St. Athanasius, and I shared this with a few of y'all. I don't remember if this was part of what I shared y'all, but anyway. This is what St. Athanasius, around 132-ish A.D., has to say about this. You ready? Um, I don't have a ton of notes after this. Um, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, this is what St. Athanasius says. We have spoken in part as far as was possible, and as far as we were able to understand the cause of his bodily manifestation. Listen. That it was not for another to turn what was corruptible to incorruptibility except the Savior himself who in the beginning created the universe from nothing and that it was not for another to recreate in the image for human beings except the image of the Father and that it was not for another to raise up the mortal to be immortal except our Lord Jesus Christ who is life itself and that it was not for another to teach about the Father and destroy, listen, and destroy the worship of idols except the word who arranges all things and is alone the true only begotten son of the father. But since what was required from all still had to be rendered. For as I said earlier, Athanasius says, it was absolutely necessary to die. And for this in particular, he sojourned among us. He says this, for that reason, After the demonstrations of his divinity from his works, miracles, signs, wonders, etc., he now offered the sacrifice on behalf of all, delivering his own temple to death in the stead of all, in order to make all not liable to and free from the ancient transgression, and to show himself superior to death, displaying his own body as incorruptible, the first fruits of the universal resurrection. That is Lord. Okay? Listen. In order to make all not liable to and free from the ancient transgression. What is the ancient transgression? Genesis 3. And if there is no Genesis 3, what does that say about you and I? We're in the garden in the cool of the day. 
If there is no Genesis 3, you and I never left the garden from the time we were born because there's no Genesis 3 anymore because now there's Christ. Where Genesis 3 once reigned in the age, now Christ reigns all the more. And he doesn't reign sitting on top of Genesis 3. He reigns having obliterated Genesis 3. I'm, I'm, about, to, I'm about to lift this whole building with my fingers. So, In becoming fully man, he embraced the fullness of the age he was born into so that as he died as both the old age and the old man, mankind, what was being nailed to the cross was not just sin, it was an entire cosmic order. That's why only God could die such a death. It was never only about sin. Prove it. This is what David says in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, this is what David says. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are obliterated. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. That's the Old Testament. It wasn't, Jesus did not have to die for God to forgive. Because David says in the Old Testament, in Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose sins the Lord will never count against them. Because of Jesus? Nope, this is before Jesus. Because of what? Because the Lord decides to never count them against him. Because it was never the sin that he was looking at. It was the goodness that was being covered up by our sin. So he came after our sin in order to unveil who we have always been even while we were still sinners. While you were still sinners and godless, Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> oh, man, 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 man. It was never about the sin. It was always about ending the chaos of an age marked by distance from reality, sin, and law. Let me read what 2 Corinthians 5 says. If you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Paul. This is what he says. 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to start at verse 16. I'm going to get a drink before I lose my voice. This is what he says. <clears throat> so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I, I really need you to understand what I'm about to read. Verse 19. Here's the message, the ministry of reconciliation. This is what it is that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So Jesus came to die so that God could forgive something that he had no record of. In Christ, my, that's what the hymn, isn't that what the hymns say? My debt is paid. There's one problem. There was no debt. Well, brother, that's a hymn. We probably shouldn't sing that hymn anymore. I don't know. I, I mean, Lord. <laughs> my debt is paid. See, it sounds good. It sounds like my debt, my debt is paid. Nope. 
Nope. Jesus came to prove to you there's no debt. He did not come to free you from a debt. He came to prove to you that you thought you had a debt that you never had. And as we nailed him to the cross in our fury, he absorbs our fury and finishes it. We, didn't know, we had no idea that while we were killing him, the death within us was being nailed every single time we nailed it into him. We thought we were killing him. What we were killing was death in us. Okay. <laughs> Verse 20. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and that's the gospel. Uh, Romans 6, 1 and 2 says this. Shall we keep sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it a moment longer? What's Paul talking about? He's saying to the Romans, he's saying, shall we keep living in this age so that, because you remember what Paul says in Romans 5, right? Romans 5, where sin was increasing, grace was increasing all the more. On the heels of this, in Romans 6, the first verse after Romans 5, Paul says, Well, if this is the case, should we keep living here so that grace may keep abounding? If grace was growing all the more with every amount of sin that we were doing on behalf of formlessness, should we not just keep living in formlessness, formlessness so that grace may increase exponentially? Paul says, that's impossible. How is that impossible? Because the age of sin has been obliterated. There is no sin for you to live in. Well, brother, what about people murdering? <laughs> I, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about an age. This age ruled by the fall has been undone, and now we're living in an age that is ruled by what is good and the kingdom. And Jesus promised us that of the increase of his government and peace, there would never be an end. We can't live in the kingdom because we're so focused on fighting an age that has already been defeated. What if instead we started living in the kingdom that we were given 2,000 years ago that very few people in 2,000 years have actually lived in? What if instead we started living in a kingdom that has taken sin and death and law and crushed it under its foot and started teaching people what it means to be in the kingdom rather than how to fight something that's already dead? We give people a sword and say, go beat that dead horse over there. And we call it religion, Right? Most of us call it bad. No, 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 no. Um, I was about to say Baptist. Lord, forgive me. Um, I'm getting too edgy. All right. We call that religion. No, no, no. We need to teach people what it means to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you what you're not going to have to worry about. Them struggling with living in sin. You know why? Because if you believe that you are royalty, why on earth would you live in the slop of a slave? You don't see Prince, Prince William walking around with rags on and begging people for money. Why? Because he knows he's a prince. 
And if you and I would get convinced that you're, we're princes and princesses of a king that has been fully inaugurated, then we wouldn't walk around like we are beggars because that's what most of the church does. And that's why we have to tell Babylon, please give us your change and we'll do whatever you have to say. Give us all your people and we'll do whatever you have to say. Give us all your money and all your influence and all your social media and all your posts with Justin Bieber and give us all that stuff and we'll do anything you want us to do because we need that because we're living enslaved in an age that doesn't even exist. And that's why the church has done absolutely nothing with our buildings full. Our buildings are slammed full and the church is doing absolutely jack squat. How do I know that? Because this week, do you know what the message was this week? Do you know, do you know, you know what I'm saying? What, do you know what the message was this week? Number one, silence. Mostly silence. Number two, attack. Mostly attack. Either side. And number three, praise God. This, he's coming back. He's coming back. I thought y'all said Russia's invasion was a, was a way that he was coming back. I thought you you know what I'm saying? That's the three messages. You know what message I haven't seen one person talk about? The government can do whatever they want. We're in a kingdom. And if our king is on the throne, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in the Supreme Court. And it doesn't matter who's in Congress. Because of the increase of his government, there will be no end. So if the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covered the earth as the waters cover the sea, guess what we would never have to have a conversation about? Abortion. Can I just make one more comment on the abortion thing? One more comment. So, everything in, this is how life works. This is how life works. Everything you do bears fruit. Everything you do bears fruit. So, uh, if I come in here tonight and I eat 75 Big Macs, okay? If I, if I eat 75 Big Macs, What's going to happen is I'm going to be sick, real sick, right? Very sick. Okay. Now, what if when I got sick, I sued Burger King, or wait, who just McDonald's? Tells you how long it's been. Okay. What if when I got sick, listen, listen, I sued McDonald's because I got sick eating 75 Big Macs. You would call me. Well, you probably don't want to say what you'd call me, right? So, so, but here's what we do. That's exactly what we've been doing this whole week. Because you, you don't, how do I say this in a way because there's kids here? That don't just happen. You don't just wake up one day and have to make that decision. You make a decision that bears fruit. So what? Again, again, I'm just using my brain. What, what if instead of having a conversation on what to do with the fruit, we instead started teaching how to make decisions? And if you make the decisions, you'll get the fruit of your decisions. So here's what the kingdom is. Do not commit fornication. Why? Because God is, God is so mean and he's restrictive. Or because we're in the age of the kingdom. Because if you don't commit fornication, guess what we don't have to have conversations about? 
I just feel myself getting canceled, and it feels amazing. Cancel me. Cancel me. It's amazing. Go ahead. Bye. All right. Um, I've been trying to get canceled for weeks. So um, does that make sense? Do y'all understand this? I, I know people's, well, brother, you just don't, and I know it's very complex, and that's why I don't post on social media about it, and that's why I'm not going any further than that. I'm just trying to tell you that your decisions, you bear for, if you, if you hit somebody with your car, you got to fix your car. That, that you, that's, that's just life. That's just how things work. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we, we but, but because, see, the church, listen, this is huge. The church is designed to be the seat of knowledge in the earth. That's exactly what was prophesied, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The church is designed to be the seat of knowledge in the earth. The church has asked Babylon what knowledge we need to teach, and that's why the glory of the Lord hasn't covered the earth like the waters cover the sea. But we are designed to tell the earth how to think. Why? Because we are the first among many that are in Christ, most of them don't know it. We're the first ones that are starting to live in it. That's exactly what Karl Barth, the great theologian, said. He said, Christ died for all. So who are the Christians? The ones Christ died for? Absolutely not. They're the ones actually living what they are. Right? Who are the Christians? They're the ones in one club and the other aren't in another. No, 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 no. They're the ones living fully alive in who they really are while the others are enslaved thinking they are something that they are not. Okay. Man, man, man. I'm going to regret this on the way home. Maybe. The argument across the New Testament is not don't go back to sin or you won't be saved. The argument across the New Testament is don't live in an age that is dead and gone. That will only lead to disappointment and missing out on the joy of life in this new age of the kingdom. Salvation happened entirely on the cross. This is John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world will be saved. Salvation happened on the cross. You can't get yourself saved by something that you do. You have no power to save yourself, but you can and should come into agreement with your salvation. We, we love, listen, we love the idea of control. In the West, we love the idea of control. So for a lot of us that grew up in evangelical, we've built entire doctrines on control. For example, you are a sinner by nature because of what you've done, but if you do better, repeat the prayer, et cetera, et cetera, you'll still be a sinner, but you'll make it to heaven. You save yourself by your prayer and your faith and your works. Jesus simply opened the door for you. That's called control. You got the control. You got yourself into this. You can get yourself out of this, and God's sitting back and waiting to see what you're going to do. You don't control it. He does. So this is what we, we think God sent Matt and said, boy, I really hope that they saved themselves. Man, my hands are tied. I created them, but Lord, I, you know. No, no. Jesus did everything necessary on the cross. It's done. So, so you can't do something to get saved. You can come into agreement with your salvation. Why is there such a difference in that? Because 
we would spend every single sermon of the rest of this church if we thought like that, teaching people why they should have good morals. This is what we were all taught growing up. Instead, we're teaching how to live in the one that made you so righteous, you could not affect it if you tried. Therefore, why would you live dead in sin when who you really are is alive and righteous? That's a much better gospel because now I'm not telling people how awful they are. I'm telling people who they really are, but they see themselves as awful. It's amazing how we teach Jesus saves and then ask if people want to get saved. Jesus saves. Do you want to get saved? Our gospel should be, Jesus saved, now let your life come into agreement with your salvation. Again, this is what Matthew 5.17 says. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and prophets. I came to bring them to completion. I did not come to just shoot them with an arrow. I came to fulfill every law. I came to fulfill every requirement that humanity gave on their lives. I came to fulfill every prophecy so that I could actually end the age that I am going to fulfill. If Jesus had not fulfilled the age and instead did away with the age, the age would not have been killed. Let me say it like this. Jesus had to... Jesus had to become this in order to destroy it. So if Jesus had done away with this without becoming it, this still exists. It's now an issue of whether or not we are covered in enough blood or do enough good works to put ourselves up here rather than down here. But this still exists. He said, I didn't come to do away with this. I actually came to do something way better. I came to complete it. I didn't come to just say, like the, what, the men in black thing, you know, the little thing that pops up and they shoot you and then you don't remember anything, right? What's always weird about that movie is like somehow you still remember certain things about things that have happened and you forget the things that you're actually supposed to forget. Super weird. Anyway, um, but that's just what happens when you have somebody that thinks too much watching a movie. But th- that's, Jesus said, I didn't come to just say, and now you forget everything. I came to become all of this so that when I said it is finished, all of this would be finished. That, that's, that is huge. Last page. But this gospel that we have, Matt, you can hop up here. Thank you. Is not a gospel of, and I told some of the, you this, this this week, This is not a gospel of power. It's a gospel of empowerment. So let me explain this. Anybody, everybody good with this? Y'all got this ingrained in your head? Okay. So we have, have a really good tendency of telling people how to live in power because we love control. Right? But this is a gospel of power. This is what power means. Power means 
the ability to do something, which is great, right? The problem is power and the ability to do something infers that you are the originator of the power to do the thing that you're doing. So in other words, if I say I have the power to make decisions as the pastor of this church, what I'm saying is because I'm the pastor of this church, I actually have the power to make those decisions, right? Here's what empowerment means. It's real dramatic the longer I take to write it. It's the authority or power given to someone to do something. Okay. Power is the ability to do something. Empowerment is the authority or power to do something because you were given the power and authority to do that thing. Here's what the Holy Spirit showed me this week. I think it was on Thursday. I could be wrong. One of these days this week is the Holy Spirit said, there's one tweak I need to make in your idea of spreading the gospel and doing church. You don't have the power to do this on your own, but you are empowered to do this through, or excuse me, but you are empowered to do this because of me through you. Power flows from you. Empowerment flows through you. So the old age was an age of power, which was the law and works. If you do this and you do this, then you will get this in return, which means you control your destiny in the law. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. In the law, right? You have the power. The new age is not an age of power. It's an age of empowerment, which is through grace and love. You can't produce grace. You can't produce the love of God, but you can sure let it flow through you, right? So for me to teach you about the love of God is not because I love like God, although I'm trying, it's because God is letting his love flow through me, the one teaching it. So I could teach you about morals because I have the power and authority to teach you about morals. Or I could teach you about the kingdom because I have been given the authority or power to speak on behalf of the king's power. So when we perform, for example, when we see signs and wonders, signs and wonders, were very, there were in the Old Testament, but they were very few compared to the New Testament. Signs and wonders happened in the Old Testament. Joshua in battle spoke to the sun and said, stop, and the sun obeyed him. If you think that's big, wait till you see some of the stuff we're about to do. But you know what I'm saying? In the heat of battle, Joshua says, stop. And the son says, yes, sir. Which means the earth had to stop spinning until Joshua said spin again. 
okay? Elijah, if you go to 1 Kings 17, Elijah goes to King Ahab, and he says, here's what I'm feeling today. It's not going to rain for three years. And the sky says, yes, sir. And for three years, it doesn't rain a drop. So it's in the Old Testament. It's there. But then you get in the New Testament, and just about every page you turn is signs, wonders, miracles, etc. Almost every page. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the Lord had to give certain people power to do things on His behalf. In the New Testament, every single person in Christ is empowered to do things, not just on behalf, as Christ. If you go to Ezekiel, the Lord says, speak to the bones. And he says, huh? Speak to the bones? And the Lord says, yes, son of man, you have the authority to speak to the bones. You speak to them. Don't tell me. You speak to them. And he speaks to them and the the bones come to life. In the New Testament, it's not us. Listen, this is huge. There's a big difference here, but it's a minute detail. There's a big difference in how the Old Testament operated and the New Testament operates, okay? In the New Testament, every person is given the Spirit of Christ. So when we lay hands on someone, it is Christ empowering us to lay hands on that person as Him. It's not Josh laying hands on that person. It's Christ through Josh that is laying hands on this person. When I get up to teach, it's not Josh teaching. It's Christ through Josh teaching by the Spirit of Christ that has been poured out on all flesh. In the last days, Amos says, declares the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And today, this is what you're seeing. That's what Peter says. What you are seeing is what the prophet Joel, I said Amos, Joel, is what the prophet Joel prophesied when he says in the last age, I will pour out my spirit on every single human nature. How did Jesus do all of his miracles? He was baptized, he was raised up, and the spirit descends and remains on him like a dove. And then Jesus goes right into ministry. Doesn't do one miracle until that moment. So Jesus does every single thing that he does through the Spirit of God in him. You and I do everything that we do through the Spirit of God in us. So when we tell people, brother, you need to have power. No, you need to get in such a secret place that you start to live empowered. I could go around and blow on a thousand people until one of them falls over. Or I could get so joined to my beloved in the secret place that when I walk down Main Street, my shadow begins to hit people and everything in their life immediately comes into order. I choose number two. We could could have a line right here tonight and I could push every one of y'all as hard as I could until somebody fell. And we'd leave saying, brother, that was an amazing service. That was an amazing time. Holy Spirit was there. Right? Or you and I could get so joined to the king in the secret place that when we walk into this room, there is a cloud 
that begins to form above this building. This is some dreams I've had lately. A cloud begins to form above this building and people from all over begin to see the cloud and come to the place where the cloud rests. I choose number two. We could pray, listen, we could pray over a thousand people and we could post on social media. And, and to be honest with you, we could exaggerate until we were blue in the face about everything that we have done this week. You know what I mean? You pray over somebody and they got a hurt knee. You pray over them. How's your knee feel? Not any better. Let's pray again. How's your knee feel? Let's pray. Let's pray again. Let's pray again. Let's pray again. And then after the 10th time, they get so uncomfortable that they say, you know what? My knee's better. Dear Lord, I just prayed for somebody their knee got healed. Or, and I'm not even saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's insignificant. Compared to what we were designed for, which is getting joined in the secret place to where when you walk up to somebody that has a hurt knee, before you say a word, the thing flowing off of you speaks to the knee through you and says, come back into order. That's what I'm talking about. And that's why we preach union every single week rather than how to have power. Because if you'll get union, you'll be empowered to do things your power never could dream of doing. What we as a church are called to do is not teach people how to survive an age that's over. We're called to teach people how to explore live and reign in the age that is. We are not called to teach people how to survive the earth. We're called to teach people how to reign in the earth. I'm not called to teach you how to sit back and watch the prophetic calendar until Jesus comes back on the day that you've marked. I'm called to teach you how to so reign in the earth that his kingdom actually begins to be spread because we've never seen that in our day. Other ages have seen that. We've not seen it. We've seen spots and spurts, but we haven't seen longevity because at some point when the Lord starts to move, which is why, listen, I'm, I'm so prophetic right now. None of y'all even realize it. The reason the Lord has kept us so small, and I don't think he's done, He's kept us so small for so long because we're designed to do things that the big guys never even saw coming. But he will keep us small until the day that when that door opens and there's crowds lined up for miles, it does nothing on the inside of us to change who we are. Because that is coming. I promise you that's coming. I'll lay my, I've laid my life down to see that's coming. And if it takes a thousand years for that to come, it takes a thousand years. But he's kept us so small because what normally happens is, is when the doors are busting open and the buildings bursting at the seam, suddenly we think that we did this. And suddenly the leader goes and buys an expensive suit Stops talking to the people, starts riding Maseratis, starts having a green room with, with LaCroix, every flavor, right? And walks out and gets worshipped like a god. That's what we've done with the, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We'll have people say, I, 
I am the apostle God sent you. You might be. But if you have to declare yourself apostle over anything, odds are you ain't ready to be apostle over anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm destroying so much right now. There's not been, you, you see what I'm saying, right? It's funny, you know, when in, the old, in the, when the Old Testament and the New Testament, the thing that marked prophets, for example, was them being prophetic. They didn't have to walk around saying, I'm a prophet. They were prophetic. Right? A pastor doesn't have to walk around telling people, I'm a pastor. People know they're a pastor by what they carry on them. You don't have to walk around saying, I'm in Christ. I'm a, I'm a Christian. If you have to tell people you're a Christian, odds are, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, people should be able to look at you and see, man, something's different about them. And I, I experienced this last, last story. Last night, none of y'all going to commit seats with me after this. Y'all, y'all mad. Um, I, I'm speaking to stuff that isn't present in this room, so you know. But um, but I uh, last night, Jordan and I and Veda were leaving the rehearsal dinner for Alex and Olivia, and uh, there was this couple there that was I think it's, it's Olivia's um, uh, godparents, I believe, and um, the coolest people. They have the best families. And um, anyway, we uh, were leaving, and Jordan started talking to this, this godmother. And the godmother looked at Jordan and did not, she didn't say this to me. She said to Jordan, okay? She looked at Jordan, and she said um, something to the effect, and I'm butchering exactly what she said. She said something to the effect of, you know, there is just, there's just something about you. So she said, there's just, there's just something about you. And we like it. You know what I mean? And, I'm, and so they said that, and I'm first, I'm like, thanks a lot, you know. And because um, I was standing right there. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. And uh, so we're walking to the car, and it hits me not one time in that entire conversation did Jordan talk about church, did Jordan talk about the Bible, did Jordan talk about anything religious. But, but she, my wife is starting to carry some things on her, just like every one of you are starting to carry some things on you that people start to look at, and you say a word, and they say, something's different about you. When Jesus taught that Sermon on the Mount and all his other teachings, there's multiple times it said this about him. Jesus teaches these groundbreaking messages. Groundbreaking. Right? And here's what it says. The crowds were astonished. Why? Because he was brilliant? The crowds were blown away by the authority he carried in his words. And I guarantee you, if you went to half of those crowds and said, what did Jesus just say? They'd say, I have no idea, but I believe it. You know what I'm saying? That's what the scripture says. It says they were blown away by the authority that he spoke his words with. That's what you're designed for. You and I are not designed to have big words. We're designed to have an empowerment that makes every single word we speak kingdom. So I, I'm, I'm going on sabbatical for just a few weeks and then I'm gonna be back, but I had to get together tonight because I think the Lord is challenging us. Um, we, we're about to inherit a... a a greater measure. And that's, I don't even know, that's so insignificant. We're about to inherit 
everything that we ever ask for and everything we have never asked for. And the challenge is, is for you and I, and we sang this, Matt wanted to do refine, that song wasn't even on the schedule. Matt texted me and asked if we could do it. So it was definitely the Lord. The refiner, you and I need to go to the Lord and say, if the altar's where you need me, leave me there. If your glory wants to come down, let it fall. Whatever, here's my life as a sacrifice. I want to burn. Y'all bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Let me just, is there anybody in the room that you, you have never, um, you've never had a legitimate relationship with Jesus and you want to start to have a legitimate relationship with Jesus tonight? Would you raise your hand if that's anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Awesome. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I want you to pray right now and I want you to ask, and I'm going to pray over you. I want you to ask, Lord, is there anything that you need me to lay on the altar tonight to inherit everything that I was designed for in this age? Is there anything? Just go ahead and begin to ask that. And whatever it is, I want you to mentally see this in vision. I want you to see yourself taking whatever that is, and I want you to lay it on the altar, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings, Whatever altar you need to lay it on that is applicable to what you're laying down, I want you to lay it on the altar with a fire that the Levites were told, the priest of the temple, to never let go out. It's a never-ending, everlasting fire of presence. See, see, let burning stuff in an everlasting fire might be something different than what we were thought, what, what we were told and what we thought. Because the Levites in Leviticus were told this, in Leviticus 6, they are told when the fire comes from the presence in the Holy of Holies and strikes the burnt offering altar, the priests are giving the, given the command, and this is the command. They say, this is your job. Your job as priest is to never let the fire go out and that's your job therefore if the fire never goes out then what is it? it's an everlasting fire so lord i speak right now that we would take the things that are keeping us from you and we would lay them on the everlasting fire that we would lay them on the fire of judgment that says this is not what you were made for but if you'll give me that i'll show you what you were made for those dreams that you've had that the only thing they require in order for you to attain them is to lay down union. If you'll give me those dreams, I'll show you a real dream. And those dreams are nothing compared to the dream I have. Those careers that are calling out 
that are offering everything Babylon has to offer, the only thing it's going to cost you is union. We take that and we lay it on the altar and say, if the altar's where you meet me, need me, leave me there. And once there, we begin to hear the whispers of career that we were designed for. Relationships. There are relationships that are everything you've ever dreamed. The only thing they are going to require of you is union. That's it. That's all it requires. It's for you to stop going to church. It's for you to disconnect from the family of God. It's for you to get in this place where you don't necessarily spend as much time with the Lord anymore. And then you get the, the, the spouse of your dreams. And the Lord is saying, if you'll bring me that, I'll show you what a real spouse is. I'll show you a spouse that doesn't require you to give up. I'll show you a spouse that adds. This is, this is so radical. This is so radical. But it's exactly the gospel that I just raised. Nobody raised their hands tonight when I said, does anybody need to start a relationship with Jesus? No one raised, which means I'm under the assumption that every one of you have a living relationship with Jesus, the one that you were actually in. And if you're in relationship with Jesus, that means you said yes to a covenant with Jesus. And the covenant that you said yes to was this, lay down your life to find it. Unless you lose your life, you'll never find it. And the reason that your relationship with Jesus has been stalled is because there is a laying down that must come next in order for you to find what you've been looking for. I've, I, Lord, I feel that all over my bones. Some of you have been looking for something for a long time and you feel like you haven't been able to find it. And the issue is not the Lord releasing it. The issue is you releasing the thing that's keeping you from it. Lay, lay down your life to find it. But whoever, what does he say? But whoever finds their life will lose it. Take up your cross and follow me. So we will be a church, Yahweh. I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a son that 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 goes after this in such a way that I can speak with every ounce of integrity in my bones every time I get up here. But we're gonna be a church that pursues one thing, one thing I've desired. And one thing I seek, which is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And for David, where was the house of the Lord? You ready? Zion. The threshing floor that David purchased became Zion, the place of presence.